What's up, everybody? This is Micah Ness, and you're listening to Silverline Behind the Frame, episode number 40. And in this talk, we are getting to talk to Jana Waller of Skullbound Chronicles. Jana's been a lifelong hunter as well as a strong supporter of veterans and conservation. And we hear about how she got started in hunting TV and recently made her transition from TV to online. And also we get to chat about how she's been able to use her platform to help veterans get outside and active and recover and helping to conserve wild lands for future generations. Later in the episode, she shares about how she's been able to keep up with the changing times in the realm of hunting and how others can pursue their own passion for the outdoors. Hope you enjoy. All right, so we are here with the Silverline Behind the Frame episode, and we are here with Jana Waller from uh, Skullbound Chronicles. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool. I feel like we've we run in a lot of the similar circles, but we don't always end up in the same place because you're you're hunting somewhere or we're filming somewhere, and uh, but we tend to know a lot of the same people. <laughs> we do. We know a lot of the same people, a lot of the same stories. Um, but it's really nice to share camp with you. You know, you can really get to know people when you share yeah. that hunt and camp or share oh, yeah. those campfires. And, yeah. uh, no, it's really fun to be in camp with everybody here. We've known each other for so long, work with a lot of the same people. And it's, yeah. uh, it's an honor to chat with you for your podcast today. Oh, well, thanks for being on. I mean, I, we, uh, came down with, uh, Butch and Justin from Cryptech, which, we're both been involved with them and known them for a lot of years. And how, how did you first get in touch with, with them or, or what, uh, I mean, in your space of being in the, in the hunting industry, I mean, mm -hmm. the, the people that you get to work with and the sponsors, they're not just sponsors. I mean, they're, it seems like they're really good friends. So how yeah. did that kind of relationship start off? Yeah, they really, really are. Um, kind of at the same time, Skullbound started. Um, I think it was just one, it was maybe my second shot show that mm -hmm. I met Butch and Josh at their Cryptek. They didn't even have a booth. They were walking around. I actually met them in a different camouflage booth, believe it or not, which is kind of funny. <laughs> They're I scoping actually, out the competition. <laughs> yeah, I actually have one piece of Cryptek that was before their pattern even came oh, out. Oh, you, you had the Mothwing? Moth really? Yeah, yeah, I have a nice. uh, Mothwing shirt. But no, we... Uh, uh, my former partner, Jim, and I had met them at a at SHOT Show. And, of course, there was an instant military connection, um, being Jim being a former Marine. and um, But they've just – they've been super great to work with. I had worn different camo throughout my entire life. I mean, I started out wearing my dad's, you know, big one – it, it was like the old Masio one yeah. zip up. I look like, you know, I look like I'm about to change your oil, yeah, you know, not really right? go hunting, exactly. not exactly like the conducive bark pattern. Yep. And stuff. Exactly that. The fit was horrible, uh -huh. you know, very loud. I literally look like the Michelin man in it, yeah. but, um, it was just really nice. And the funny thing is, um, Cryptek was new to the woman's world of apparel yeah. in the hunting market or the hunting space, what, right. four years ago? Sure. But even way before that, I was wearing all the guys' pieces. Yeah. You know, they have great sizing for everybody. And even the guys' pieces fit me, um, fit me fantastic. So I have been sporting Cryptek since almost the very beginning yeah. of Cryptek. Yeah. And I, I fell in love with the brand. I'm very passionate about veterans and uh, mm -hmm. being a woman living in the greatest country on this planet. I've been very blessed in my adult life to travel the world a lot. I've been, yeah. you know, in the Middle East three times. I've been all over here. I've been just in a lot of different places, a lot of different cultures. And I know for a fact that I live in the greatest country on this planet. I have a passion for our military and our veterans. And so there's that connection to the brand yeah. and, um, they've just been great. Butch and Nikki and, um, and Josh have been some of my best friends, uh, just because we can relate to the industry so well together. Yeah. Um, you know, I've watched their girls grow up, which is really fun. Right. I remember yeah. one time Butch in the very beginning said, one of the reasons they worked with me is because one of their daughters, I can't remember if it was McKenna or Kylie said, um, he, this is how he related it back to me is he said, my girls are more interested in Jana from Montana than Hannah Montana. <laughs> so, and he said, so I That's knew you were great. onto something and that makes me feel so great to be able to inspire, you know, younger, the younger generations to yeah. get out there and, and just, you know, enjoy the, 
amazing hunting heritage that this country yeah. not only offers, but a lot of other countries too. The, and, and the passion that it's brought my meme and my life and the connection to my dad, you know, yeah. it's oftentimes where younger girls don't really have much in common with oh, yeah. their fathers, right. um, sometimes sports, but, um, hunting really is a unique, uh, special thing and a mm -hmm. passion that, girls can share with their fathers and it be a lifelong passion. Yeah. Yeah. Like my dad is one of my favorite people on the planet. And it's so fun to be able to, we don't get a chance to hunt together all that much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think he would disagree uh, in the statement that I'm, I'm a way more passionate hunter than he even is. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to variety, like he's a big white tail sure. hunter and a bird hunter. He loves yeah. that. Um, there's done a little bit. He came out and did a mule deer hunt with me in Montana once. And I think he did one elk hunt, but other than that, he's a pretty much a Midwestern Wisconsin whitetail dude. Mm -hmm. And even that, even that, like if it's nice out, he's probably going to play golf instead of hunt, <laughs> but right. it's still the passion that we have in the, in the common yeah. commonality that we can talk to about, you know, over, over the mm -hmm. phone with each other. And right. so it's fun to see Butch and his daughters and watch his daughters grow up. I mean, now yeah. they're one in high school, one in college and, <laughs> but it's been super right. fun to be, um, friends with their entire family. And to me, that's what it's really evolved into is that my business partners in the hunting industry are really, I can say this, they're all good friends. They're yeah. just Right. Yeah. Friends, we care about yeah. each other's lives. You know, it's not just a, a business relationship or a paycheck or, yeah. you know, a contract. It, we're friends. Yeah. And that's, that's so special because it's, especially in an industry like this, that there's so many different companies and brands that, that come and go, or they, they start up or, you know, whatnot. And when you can have that real connection, it makes what you're doing as a job so much more relatable. And because it's not just something you're putting on because it's, you know, paid, it's, it's something that you actually believe in and people believe in. Right. And, and how did, so when you, so it sounds like you grew up hunting early on with your dad yep. and how did that process, I guess, from that earlier age, did you kind of think that you were going to end up in the direction that you did with oh, getting no. into the hunting industry? I mean, being a hunting professional, if you will call it, yeah. I mean, what, uh, what does that process start out like? Yeah. Well, trust me, it didn't start, <clears throat> it didn't start out Pretty much, it didn't start out before much of Skullbound. Um, uh -huh. I, it's funny when I tell this story because people have no idea. But yeah, as a hunter, yeah, I've been a hunter my whole life. My dad, even though the hunting age in Wisconsin was 12, he would still like let me tag along on all his pheasant hunts, duck yeah. hunts, goose hunts. We yeah. would road trip it out to South Dakota in my junior high days. I didn't even carry a shotgun. I was a flusher, you know. And <laughs> the I retriever. Was, we were retriever, retrievers for my flusher, dad. Flusher, <laughs> bird gutter, yeah. you know, that was, but it was those weeks with my dad that they just meant so much. For sure. And then when I was in high school, my boyfriend was a bow hunter. So I would sit in the trees. He would put me in a tree stand, you know, it's mm -hmm. just, and it really was a love of wildlife and being outside. And, yeah. and that's what I tell people when they say, how do I get my, my kids or my wife into hunting? Let them shadow you. Just yeah. show them why you love to be out there. And, and that it, I've never yet met anybody that it's all about pulling the trigger because mm -hmm. it, it really isn't. Um, but then when I was, it, when I was in college, my, um, I was a freshman, my dad had gotten into bow hunting a couple years before that and had taken a couple Wisconsin does, but mm -hmm. he called me up and he had, uh, shot his first buck and he couldn't find it. And I uh. went back home. I only went to college, UW Whitewater, 10 minutes from my house in Wisconsin, went back and helped him track it. And we were in the cornfields and I ended up finding his buck and wow. he came running <laughs> over and I, I, I literally have never seen my dad more excited. And he equated finding that buck to the birth of his two daughters. <laughs> and I literally remember wow. going, well, I want to feel like, what's That's that awesome. like? Like he was just jacked. Yeah. And so I picked up a bow. I met a, I met a, actually another gal at, when I was a freshman who was a bow hunter. And I thought that's so great and felt pretty inspired by her. Mm -hmm. One of those, if she can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, started bow hunting the following year and it's been 30 years since. And, uh, uh, mostly of course, Wisconsin whitetail until I moved out West. Now career wise, it's funny. I have a degree in public relations and marketing and I had a couple of different odd jobs. I yeah. did radio sales and, um, work what for did my you sell? Uh, radio advertising. Oh, okay. So like, you know, going into all those oh, small gotcha. town yeah. businesses, trying to yeah. get them to advertise on the local radio stations and, mm -hmm. um, so the early broadcast connection. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And, uh, in the meantime, still passionately getting into bow hunting and, and, 
you know, hunting whitetails in Wisconsin. And then um, I worked 10 years for Edward Jones Investments. Mm. And um, that was an eye opener to really learning how money worked. But again, my passion was outdoors, fishing, mm. hunting. Um, I was, I, I began to write freelance articles for even just websites for free. Womenhunters.com was the first one that I ever started writing for. And then occasional magazine here and there, bow yeah. hunter and cool. some others. Yeah. Just to stay connected. And sure. You know, yeah. I shot a couple of really nice bucks in Wisconsin and, and then starting to approach companies about like, will you send me your gear? If I write articles for you, you know, just that mm -hmm. kind of thing just to really stay connected to other hunters. Now, mind you, this is a yeah. long time ago. There were not that many women bow hunters, you <laughs> yeah, know, there right. was of course, Brenda Valentine, who is the pioneer, uh, the, you know, of, she really paved the way for a lot of us women hunters. And then there was of course, Tiffany. I remember being like enamored by this cute young, you know, just cuter than pie on TV, <laughs> but really there weren't yeah. a lot of women bow hunters, yeah. you know, 25, 30 years ago. And I'm not saying Tiffany, she wasn't that, she's not that old, but I mean, I just remember just thinking she's yeah. so cute and, um, you know, killing some big, big bucks. And, uh, but I, um, ended up, um, I went, I had gone through a divorce and, um, I had met Jim, my former partner and he lived in Montana. And it's really funny cause we had met sort of, um, it's embarrassing to say this, but we met on Facebook <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, nice. but anyway, like we actually met because we had, we both had, um, articles in Bowhunter magazine uh, yeah. and that's how we met and got to talking. <clears throat> He's like, you need to come see Montana. And so I moved out there and just absolutely fell in love with Montana and, yeah. and hunting. It's easy to do. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's so beautiful. The Bitterroot Valley yeah. score. And it's funny. We here this week, we are in camp with Robert and Amy Hanneman and they were my two first friends I met in Montana. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't realize that went back that yep. far. That's I met cool. them through Jim. So ah, like, it's cool. so funny to be here in camp with them and to, yeah. to be able to, you know, just be able to just be around them and yeah. share stories and That's hear awesome. stories of their kids hunts. And, and we live so close and it's so funny. Amy and I were just joking about that. We live, we live 15 minutes away, but have to travel seven hours to get to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, well, um, I'm sure you're both pretty, pretty busy too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm busy with Chronicles. She's so busy with, um, you know, she's got three amazing boys who are so active and, and Robert's hunting style and, and job with yeah. hunt and fool takes them all over and they're just super, everybody's busy. You know, everybody's busy in their own way, you yeah. know? Um, but for then, sure. uh, Jim and I started, he used to film for a different show on the outdoor channel. And so we started talking about the idea With of having, Robert. I just found out. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Robert yep. was, Robert was on Magnum. Yeah. Yep. Nosler's Magnum TV. Yep. That was back yep. in the day. And it was a really <laughs> good show. It was Thursday nights. It was on outdoor channel. Um, but Jim sort of wanted to start his own show and there were very little solo female hosted shows. In mm -hmm. fact, I think I was the first on Sportsman's. I, I could get corrected on that. And of course, there's Melissa Bachman's, who she's actually, I think, one of the most credible, legit women in the hunting mm -hmm. industry. Yeah. I love Melissa. Um, Winch Winchester's Deadliest Passion is her show. And she's just, she's a phenomenal. She's a mm -hmm. shooter editor and she's hunted her whole life big games. The girl's just got it going on. Yeah. And, uh, but, but the network was really excited about Skullbound because when we pitched the idea, it was a solo female hosted show. We tied in conservation, which is a passion of mine. Mm -hmm. I'm a skull artist and I donate a lot to conservation groups, hence the name Skullbound. I always feel like having to say that to people, yeah, yeah. you know, no, I'm not just out chasing skulls. <laughs> um, but so anyway, yeah, we pitched it at SHOT Show one year and we're on the network the next year. And I just ended my ninth season on Sportsman's, but now I'm going all digital and yeah. I kind of played around, um, a year and a half ago with wanting to know like which digital platform to go to. Sure. Yeah. So I launched Skullbone Chronicles on carbon TV, which was kind of highlights of the past decade. I mean, yeah. you, after a decade, you've got all this footage. We had 13 yeah. originals every year. And so yep. you've got all these amazing, you know, amazing hunts that you want to share with the world, but maybe not in the typical 22 and a half minute yeah. formatted show. Sure. You know, people nowadays, we live in a different culture. They want, they want their adventure TV and they want it now. Yeah. They want it when they're on work break or in the morning watching their, you know, sipping their coffee. Yeah. They want it on their phones. They don't want to watch commercials. They, you know, they just, they just want their information fast 
and when they want it. Mm -hmm. So I've gone, went to digital a year and a half ago just to test it out and did really well on carbon. And so um, this past year, obviously gone through a bunch of changes. Um, and uh, now I'm sort of a one-man band, if you will. Yeah. And uh, But it's great. I am launched season two of Chronicles, which is all brand new episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm doing 10 brand new episodes this year, the rest of 2020. And then next year in 2021, I will release one brand new episode a month. And so, yeah, it's just been super busy. You know, I hire out... Um, individual cameramen. I have a one solid editor, Heath Helgert, H2O Productions, who's amazing. He nice. is he is just the greatest. He's so good at what he does. He can take some of my episodes, which are self-filmed, which trust me when I say <laughs> I am not a camera person, but like there's so many times yeah. when I'm already going to go antelope hunting in Montana, for yeah. example. And like John, my boyfriend and I went last year and we're like, let's just film it and see what we get. You know, mm-hmm. well, Heath turned that into an awesome show. <laughs> it just launched last week on carbon yeah. and it was all self-filmed between myself and my boyfriend who admittedly right. is no cameraman either, <laughs> but Heath can turn, he works his magic and turn, yeah, can turn really, impressive. yeah, really crappy footage into a great little show. So like, nice. and sometimes, uh, I actually filmed half of my Idaho bear episodes that are up right now. I took, uh, John and I both took nice bears with the desert Eagle 429 handgun this year. I ran all my baits with Heath. We did all the baiting ourselves and I really wanted to show baiting is a lot of work. It's a hunt Mm -hmm. that's very misunderstood. He turned that footage into a beautiful double episode. So yeah, yeah, Heath's great. He's my main editor and, uh, things are rolling now. We're already kind of pre-planning already for 2021. Some of my hunts this fall will probably get bumped over to 2021 Mm. and just trying to keep it rolling. You know, I do all my own (laughs) social media, all my own marketing. So I literally, I'm kind of a one man band who hires out cameramen and then has Heath, my editor and, but it's going great. It's a great business model. Yeah. And how, cause I think, uh, those that watch, the shows or, or see kind of the, the different personalities on whether it's on TV or online or digital or whatever it might be, you know, there's, there's a lot of pieces that go into that process. And I mean, you having to take on that type of position to be able to, you know, at least people are, are aware and, and know of your name in the industry and they're kind of looking for that stuff, but to keep, to keep up with that, like how, how, how do you say, stay sane within that space of people that want to know what you're doing. They want to see the hunts that you're in. Like how, how do you kind of manage that on a, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. It, it, some weeks are busier than others. Some seasons, you know, like right now we are kicking off fall and it's crazy. I, you know, started it last week, two weeks ago with the Wyoming art, archery. And, yeah. Then it's kind of nonstop. <laughs> But I also am not, I've learned, comes with age, I've learned over the years not to overload myself. Yeah. Like, I have got to be take a break when I want to break, when I feel my body getting really burned down. Mm-hmm. I It's funny, I travel so much, but I'm kind of a homebody. Like, I, when I'm gone more than three weeks from my house, I really... I have the urge to get back there. I just want to chill on my couch. My dog, Pete, that everybody kind of knows through social media is still alive. He's 14, maybe 15 because he was a pound (laughs) dog. Not sure, but he's old and he's completely deaf and he's still, but I miss him. I know he's not going to be around a whole lot longer. So I get my heart tugged towards going home. So you're not constantly on the old time to get a break in between hunts and stuff. Yes. I have to get a break. Otherwise it's just, so I've learned to space them out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, this fall season is going to be a little bit crazy, but the way I can manage it is, is well, your cell phone's your office nowadays, the way technology is, it's so great. I don't have anyone helping me with social media because I don't want anyone speaking for me. Um, I really want it to come from the heart. I feel like, um, I feel like I can proudly say that my social media is very authentic. Yeah. Um, let's face it. We have to plug our partners. That's why we're here, but I don't work with anyone. I don't absolutely love. Yeah. I'm not, I can't always say that in the beginning, there were some companies that you partner with. You don't know them that well. You don't know what their heart behind their product is. Yeah. You don't know. And it just happens that way. But I can honestly say that now after 11 years of this industry, every single person I work with, I love to death. And, um, I, it's easy to do social media when you're on the road and I can manage it that way. Um, Heath is really great about turning and burning really fast. The beautiful thing about being on carbon TV is that it is 
a way easier, more streamlined process than being on network television. Right. So if I want to make a five minute episode, I can do five minutes. If I want it to be 20 minutes, you know, it's not laying in tons of, you know, once we come back from commercial, that kind of break, it's not music cue sheets. It's not, it's, so it's a lot less work on him. I can literally give him footage and in two days he can turn and burn a fun episode to go watch. And let's face it, people, I mean, Everybody's different what they want to watch, but I feel mm. like long, drawn out story like yeah. shows that which is kind of what the network used to run. I think those are great for some people, but right. I'm kind of now Chronicles is more like fast highlights. Yeah. Like, you know, some most of my shows are 10, 12 minutes. Right. Because you got to keep people engaged, too. Yeah. And, uh, and, and what is that? So sorry to jump in there, but just with if people are thinking and maybe just. I feel like there's a lot of hunters that probably dream of having a TV show or just like being that, you know, the, the person that just gets paid to hunt, if you will. I mean, there's obviously a lot more that goes into it than just that. Right. (laughs) But even down to the nitty gritty, like what does it take to, I mean, it, it didn't just happen overnight. I mean, you built for how many years now? Like 11 nine, years, 11 yeah. years in the hunting industry. Right. So mm-hmm. getting, getting your name known and stuff, but to, to dive into kind of the, the, I guess the, the basic things of kind of what that takes in this current age for what you see now, if someone was maybe has that aspiration to be in that position now that it is available with digital, right. you don't have to be on the network TV, just with a lot of different places. There are those social media channels that they can, put out their own, you know, hunts and stuff. What would you say to someone that is like, say that, that, How do I that do has an aspiration, like, I want to do this mm-hmm. as a living. Mm-hmm. How do I get started? I mean, obviously it's, a, it's not going to happen overnight, but now things can take off virally. You do something that just gets picked up. Like what, what would you say to someone that kind of sees themselves or wanting to go towards that direction? Yeah. First of all, um, I think you have to remember, you have to look at things from both business perspectives. Yeah. You, let's say you, Joe Schmo, want to do this for a living and you want to get paid. Well, the way to get paid, there's a, a bunch of different avenues to do that. Yeah. One of them is, though, you've got to show people that you've got some return on investment, some ROI. Yep. And you've got to show them that it's going to be worth partnering with you. You've also got to remember that it may take years to build that. Yeah. Like, I did a lot of pro bono work in the first couple of years of Skullbound TV. I gave a lot of people free commercials. Mm -hmm. I gave a lot of people free social media, you know, um, free art. I wrote my butt off for a lot of magazines and online websites and stuff where the pay was, you know, 50 bucks an article or, you know, minimal. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you've got to remember that is, and that can then tend to build your audience on social media. Yeah. And nowadays, my gosh, when I started Skullbone, there wasn't even Facebook or Instagram. I mean, there were, but I didn't <laughs> right. have it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, that place, it wasn't yeah. even in my realm of like, mm-hmm. you know, my media kit, so to speak. But what I tell most people is to think about it in terms of developing a media kit into showing companies who you are, Mm-hmm. Your, your hunting resume, if you will, like what have you hunted? What species? What right. weaponry? What do you love to do? What are you passionate about? You kind of get building your resume, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then why would someone want to work with you? Do right. you have what's sh- unique about what's that unique that about? Can, and yeah. nowadays you cannot no longer can you be two guys who love to hunt whitetails. <laughs> that doesn't work anymore because yeah. that's everybody. Or I'm right. a dude who loves elk hunting. How yeah. do I start? Well, you have got to have a niche. Or something that's going to want to make people follow you or watch you or or something unique and um, maybe a little bit different, whether it's cook, like maybe you do really unique cooking recipes or maybe you hunt with a handgun or maybe you right. something that's just a little bit different or or maybe you hunt all public land. You never yeah. hunt anything but public, whatever your shtick is. I think it's important or credibility, like you yeah. have been very successful, at, yeah. you know, at hunts in the past. Um, and then again, it's just slowly building that you're going to have to spend a few years, Mm -hmm. if not more, in other words, don't quit your day job. (laughs) You're going to have to spend a few years, you know, offering up free, uh, whether it's like, for example, like you could, you could approach a bunch of magazines and magazines, whether they're online or still, you know, there's still a lot of people who are 50 in their forties, fifties and sixties who love a physical magazine in their hands. Mm-hmm. They relax on the couch. I know my dad still does and uh, loves yep. to, you know, take all the magazines up to the hunting camp. Mm-hmm. So magazines aren't totally dead. 
Um, but it's a way that you can write about your hunts and then you can build your hunting resume, for example, to say, hey, I've been in Bowhunter Magazine. Um, and when, when you're approaching companies, it's part of that resume. Yeah. And even though you may have to offer up your article to Bowhunter or offer up a low price for your, or yeah. you write for free for the conservation group magazines, yeah. MDF and NWTF both have fantastic magazines. They're yeah. wonderful. Yeah. The layouts are wonderful. They, they do put a, a lot into it. Too. A lot I mean, into it. They do a, a really, really good yeah. job. Maybe offer to write some free articles for those type of magazines. And not only are you giving back to conservation by giving them an article for free, um, yeah. you're also helping then build your hunting resume right. and that's just, and it may be, there's a lot of people nowadays who have really good social media followings who don't have a show, don't have anything. And you know, it's debatable whether they have a good return of investment, but mm -hmm. if they've got a high following and they can show that they're successful hunters, yeah. then yeah, then I think there's a lot of credibility there that companies yeah. want to work with. You mm -hmm. know, it's interesting. Just in the last couple of years, there's definitely been a change in a shift of companies wanting to steer clear of the influencer, mm -hmm. someone who is just a social media influencer. Right. And I'm talking mostly women here, but women who have huge 500,000 followers, 700,000 followers. And if they don't have the credibility to back it up, all these companies are all of a sudden seeing that there's no return on investment there. Like mm -hmm. not to say they don't have a lot of good engagement and people don't follow them because it's fun, but they're not necessarily going out and buying, you know, Betty's handgun that she's yeah. toting on her hip, but that she's never shot a competition with. She's never shot an animal with it. Sure. She's just, she's never you even have to shot have the credibility it. To back it she's up. never even yeah. shot it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You've got to have some credibility to back it up and that can take some years, mm -hmm. but if you're passionate about hunting, then you should have the years, right. you know? Yeah, and that so, seems to be it has to, especially from from what you we we've seen in 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 our industry of of media and stuff too. I mean, if you don't have the passion that overrides just it as being a job or something that you're just going after because money is there or whatever or you're getting you want recognition or whatever it might be, that that passion has to overlie that because like you were saying, the amount of work and hours and time that you have to put into this, traveling all these different places, having to put in this time, it's not just the 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 glam and the fun cool no. stuff i mean you're oh, putting no. a lot of groundwork yeah there's a lot of groundwork there's a lot of travel time like you said yeah. and everyone i don't know anyone who has fun travel well, it might be fun on the initial <laughs> outgoing road trip right then you, you know. gotta get back home yeah then you gotta and... get back home yeah exactly yeah. Um, there's a lot to it and it's it's very um energy it's very consuming of your energy um it's financially you know Hunting, no, hunting costs a lot of money. Yeah. Tags cost a lot of money. The travel costs a lot of money. Um, you know, there's a lot of investment to it. But again, most people I know have that passion. And, right. And they just want to be outside and they just want to experience the highs and lows and the thrill of it all. And the business, but the business model is, is definitely changing from when I started 11 years ago to now. It's, it's, it's a lot different. Oh yeah. Um, I think the most important thing people can bring to the table is authenticity and credibility. Um, yeah. I really do. Companies see right through someone who, and I, and I've been, we've been talking about that this week. I'm a firm believer that everybody carries an energy about them mm -hmm. and you can try to front all you want or you, you know, People have an energy about them that is an authentic energy in, and whether you like it or not, you carry that with you into mm -hmm. friendships, into business relationships, sure. into your social media. And, you know, companies can, I think companies, when I say companies, people can read that energy. And I think it's really important to try to remain as authentic as you can be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're always going to have those haters and naysayers, but that's life. That's any business. Right. I think it's even over the top in the hunting industry because there's a lot of egos, a lot of jealousy, a lot of that. And you just got to, if you're passionate about it and it's what you want to do, there's ways to make it work. Pattern other people that you like to follow and find yeah. who have found success, you know, make sure to understand that you've got to give a little to get a little, you know, whether it's, you know, hey, I, I'll work for you for free for a year. I want to mm. show you what I can do. I love your product. I've already been using it for years, but I'd like to work with you on a, you know, that's what I've actually told a few of my friends recently. 
are, they're not wanting to get into it professionally, but they want right. to pay for their hunts. Yeah. They want to get their hunts paid for. They want to earn money to where it's not draining from their family's budget. Mm -hmm. And so then if they've already been a credible hunter, most of them have in the cases I'm thinking of, yeah. my advice to them is to approach the companies and say, hey, here's my hunting resume. I've been hunting 15 years or whatever. I bow hunt, I gun hunt, whatever it is. Um, this is my social media following. I would like to work for you for a free uh, for a year for free. See what I can do, and then next year I'd like to talk about the possibility of maybe doing a twenty five hundred dollar a year, which, you know, is a fairly low partnership. But that mm -hmm. hey, that's travel. That's airline ticket tag. Yeah. You know, and so most companies will really appreciate the working for free, and if you do a good job for them, then they'll look mm -hmm. at look into a contract where you get a little bit of financial kickback from them. Right. And that's how to start. I mean, it's yeah. a great way to start. Yeah. And how, so with the, the, the space that you get to influence and, and speak to, um, being in the industry, what, what's kind of the, cause I know there's a few different platforms that you're really big on with, with helping the, the veterans and, 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 and those that have, you know, had, had the issues coming back from, you know, being in the military and then also a lot in conservation and even just speaking to women in the outdoors, like, how, how do those different things impact what you end up doing on a day-to-day -day as in keeping, I guess, with keeping it as a business, but also keeping true to what you really believe in and not just going somewhere because there might be some money there or you need to make it you know, happen? Like, how does that stay true for you? Well, I think if you make decisions based on money, it's always, it's going to bite you in the butt. I've, yeah. I, for me personally, where I credit my success, if you will, for lack of a better word in the hunting industry, is that I've always kept it authentic. Yeah. I've always had a passion for our military and veterans. Well, and selfishly, they're the my most amazing moments in the field have come from uh, helping these guys and gals, actually, I took a gal, uh, these combat veterans, um, helping them find success in the field. And oftentimes yeah. it's their first bull elk. And it mm. has been my favorite moments in the whole, yeah. well, even over like my monster moose or my, right. you know, my big bear or my, whatever, my biggest accolades don't even compare to when I'm with Eric Galvin, a triple amputee. And we, thanks to R and K hunting, get him his first bull. Um, there's nothing like that moment. Like I, yeah. I can't even, I can't even talk about it without crying. I'm so excited. I'm going my favorite hunt this fall that I'm so excited about. I'm taking Jonathan Blank, who is a former um, Marine recon sniper, uh, double amputee. We're taking him to RNK on his first elk hunt in Wyoming in October. Wow. And I'm already, I already know that I'm going to be, you know, just teary eyed every day, just feeling so much. What, what, it, what it does is these guys are amazing and gals, I should say, because Shelby Hatch was a female that I took out in Wyoming and it was awesome. Um, but she was a medic, so she dealt with combat mm, yeah. at, on that side of things, the medic right. side of things, which yeah. is very traumatic. And, yeah, um, you know, yeah, she's, she's amazing. Um, but what it, what it does for me, for all the guides, and then for hopefully anybody watching is it makes you like anything in life, reflect into your own life. Like, mm. wow, I never really thought about it before, but just to get up every day for Eric and he doesn't even have a right hand prosthetic. So he just has his left arm and he's got to get on his prosthetics. And this is a man who just ended up getting his degree in social work. So he wow. went out. Yeah, he's got his college degree. Eric is like my one of my favorite human beings on the planet. But even just like if you watched his show, um, just what he goes through every day is amazing to me. Yeah. Like. And he doesn't complain and he's happy and he's got the cutest little wife, Caitlin. And like, he's just amazing. And his attitude is so good. And I'm not to, I'm not saying Eric probably doesn't have awful days, but you're not going to know it from mm -hmm. looking at him because he's so positive. And, and, and through that hunt of even a little doubt in the beginning, like, Oh, are we going to be able to get him close enough to a bull? And how we did it was he was, it was a rifle hunt. And he had a tripod that was a really uh, solid, yeah. awesome tilting tripod. It could tilt any way with the rifle. Mm -hmm. And he was there on his own. Like we ended up sitting him against a tree and he got behind his tripod. We had called this bull out into this meadow and he one shot kills this bull. And wow. I basically attack him because I'm so happy. <laughs> and, uh, That's so but, cool. but yeah, really, it, it, it's, 
it's amazing what those hunts do for me in my life, but hopefully my viewers too, of appreciating our health, how easy we have it, yeah. uh, the freedoms of our country, what these men and women go through. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just been selfishly my favorite moment. So I just, I want more and more of them. And like we, you and I were talking about earlier, like I think in the year 2022, I'm going to dedicate my whole season to being all veteran hunts That's and awesome. yeah. And then put an all veteran season out. Yeah. I think it'd be great. That's cool. Yeah. And, and from the, I feel like, especially in that space, you see so much change in how they can view things too. I mean, it impacts the people watching because they can see what's possible because someone that has to overcome so many, you know, more difficulties than the average person sometimes. But then when you have what it does to them, changing what they think is possible too. I mean, seeing the different veterans organizations and people that change their lives just through being outdoors or hunting or fishing or whatever that does. I mean, it seems like you've been able to witness some pretty incredible changes on their side too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like the confidence, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. And then to be able to carry on, you know, their passion for hunting or fishing or bow fishing, what, you know, I did an AMS bow fishing show that was just sticking carp in Kentucky, um, <laughs> yeah. big heads, you know, and that was so fun. And that was with Mike Krampitz, who's just a sweet kid, army veteran who, uh, saw, you know, he saw horrific things. No one should see, like he had a child die in his arms in Afghanistan. And that was mm. really emotionally tough for him when he got back. And yeah. those are the kind of scars we don't see in yeah. a lot of our veterans, but hopefully people watching that episode could really relate to that and really think, you know, maybe I'm not going to judge somebody when maybe I think they have a chip on their shoulder or they seem sad or you don't know what they've been through. Yeah. And we all, this country needs to understand what our, what our amazing veterans go through because we need to have, and, and it's scary to me because we're losing it. I'm hoping that we gain it back here yeah. in November. But <laughs> I mean, I, when I say we're losing it culturally, we're losing it. I think we're losing this proud, it's the pride of our country. Like, mm -hmm. so like, I can't imagine if I was, if I was driving through the streets and I saw people on burning a flag, I think I'd absolutely flip out. Like I, to me, the flag is so important. It means it is so symbolic and we're losing that. The kids are rioting and burning flags. And, you know, and I say kids, I mean, specific, obviously, you know, groups, mm -hmm. but I think culturally we may be losing a little bit of that in the last decade of, I'm not talking about, yeah, we're the best, USA, hurrah. No, just a love and a passion for the freedoms in this country. And when I say the best country, I don't mean that attitude of everybody else sucks and we're the best. And No, mm. I mean the attitude of gratitude. We all just need yeah. to be so grateful, so yeah. grateful that we can, you know, ha that we can have a voice, that we, I'm a woman and I can... I can basically do whatever I want to do. If I want to have any career, I want to chase. And and some people who've maybe never been outside our country, especially the high school, college age, 20-year-olds mm -hmm. who maybe have never been out, they don't know that, oh, th this is not a gimme. There are a lot yeah. of other countries who don't have those freedoms, right. who don't, yeah. who, who women are thought of as you know, second class, who, you know, don't get to vote, don't get a say, don't, can't practice you know, the religion they want to practice can't have mm -hmm. the job they want to have. It, it, that still exists. And, yeah. and I just think we need to do a better job of having this attitude of gratitude. But I do think that, um, I don't think it's lost. I just think culturally there's been this shift in the yeah. last, you know, maybe half decade. Right. Um, and, and how has that been for, for you even just seeing, I mean, being a, a woman in it, and I mean, it seems to be changing a lot more. There's a lot more women hunters and fishers and, and it's really cool to see the, the, the impact that has had, but even from you seeing that previous years when, when that wasn't really the case and kind of seeing that change, mm -hmm. like what do you feel has been the main things that you've seen that have improved and to the, to the betterment of, of, you know, even just women in hunting or, or the society or whatever it might be, um, you know, how has that been, how have you seen that change over the years from your perspective and how do you continue to 
to grow that being, you know, well, somewhat of a, a minority in that space. Yeah. Women are the largest demographic in the hunting world. And meaning we are purchasing more licenses than any other demographic. You yeah. know, when you think about it, all of like my grandparents' generation, every all the men hunted, right? Yeah. It was just, but we're losing the, the, you know, men who were in their 80s and 90s. We're losing those licensed purchasers, but we're replacing them not fast enough, mind you. We're, we as a hunter nation, people need to understand that we are at risk of losing our hunting heritage because we're not replacing those, those licensed purchasers fast enough. And it's not a simple case of, you know, oh, we're always going to have hunting and, you know, yeah, there's a lot of great women in it now, but it'll be right. No, 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 no. Yes. The women, the number of women hunting has exploded in the last decade, which is awesome to see because studies show that if the mom of the household hunts, the kids are going to hunt. Right. And then there's more mm. people purchasing license, but on a grander scheme of understanding why we need that is the fact that our licenses and what we purchase guns, ammunition, even archery products, all of that is what pays for our hunting heritage. All The Pittman-Robertson Act of 1937, it puts an incise tax on hunting products, guns, ammunition, cl mm, yeah. even clothing, I believe. Um, and that tax goes into each, each state gets to manage that budget. And we're talking billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. But each state gets to manage that for their wildlife. They get to pay for the biologists and the wardens and the studies and the, you know, if the sheep herd on the mountain dies of pneumonia, it's hunter's dollars that are replacing that sheep herd. Yeah. You know, if CWD, which is such a hot topic right now, chronic wasting disease, it's going to affect whitetail across the country. You know, there's so many studies about it going on right now. There's a mm, lot of marketing yeah. materials about it, how to prevent it state to state. Those are... If you boil it all down, a lot of all of that is hunters dollars and mm -hmm. we are the ones helping manage our wildlife hunters. Hunters yeah. are the truest conservationists in this country. So we need people to purchase licenses. You know, right. we need them to purchase licenses and tags and hunting products. And it's important because we're losing those older generations. And even though it has been a boom of women in the industry, think about culturally in the last 20 years of what just kids sports has become mm -hmm. like kids are involved in school sports then they're involved in all these summer leagues yeah, and right. you know and it, it's almost like they have to have a choice of sports or hunting you know we're losing even young boy young men hunters because mm -hmm. their parents might not be into it as much as older generations or they're involved in so many other things when it didn't used to be like that when my dad was a kid there wasn't there was organized baseball in the summer, but that's yeah. about it. And then there was high school sports, but it wasn't, it wasn't what it is today where that dominates a kid's schedule. Mm -hmm. And that does have a huge impact as far as getting your kids outside and outdoors. And now, you know, the technological age we live in with all kids buried into their cell phones and playing video games and all that kind of stuff. It's just a different era that we live in now, but mm -hmm. there's a huge threat to what's going on behind closed doors. There's, that's why I'm involved in the conservation groups is yeah. to just be more aware of what's going on politically, what's going on inside the courtroom. All these stupid, ridiculous court cases are just little court cases with the goal and intent of eventually eliminating not only our gun rights, but our hunting rights. Mm -hmm. Animal rights activist groups are huge. Um, the biggest one, of course, is PETA that everybody knows about. But one of the groups people often don't know about is the Humane Society of the United States. HSUS is mm -hmm. not the typical humane societies that we all know of in our communities. You know, um, we. Oops, sorry. <laughs> The humane societies in each of our communities are great, right? They're shelters. They're helping cats and dogs. I go down all the time and I take extra towels. Um, I give them money during Christmas. I I believe in the local shelters. Mm -hmm. That is not what HSUS is. HSUS, if you, in fact, Google it. There's tons of new articles online in the last few years. That's pure corruption. They, um, But they're one of the biggest anti-hunting groups. Their whole, their whole message and their whole behind the corruption is to stop hunting. Right. And, and there's a lot of groups out there like that, raising hundreds of millions of dollars every year in stating these court cases. And all it takes is one judge who thinks, you know what, maybe there shouldn't be any dogs allowed into hunting. It's too cruel for them, mm -hmm. you know, on, you know, and maybe listening to the, um, 
the antis, if you will. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to be politically <laughs> correct here. Right. Um, but if you're going to, if you know, all it takes is one judge to listen to some antis and mm-hmm. uh, that we've been losing some battles. I mean, look at the yeah. state of California. Right. Um, Sportsman's Alliance is a group that um, they often are helping fund the lawyers in the court mm-hmm. cases and fighting for our rights. And there's so many topics. The grizzly bear issue is huge. The wolf issue is still ongoing. Yeah. And these issues all impact wildlife and they impact hunting. And anyone who a lot of people don't understand that correlation. They yeah. don't understand that that there are more animals because of hunters. Right. You know, that it's kind of like I tell some of my friends who really didn't grow up around hunting, would you throw a pair of piranhas in your kid's fish tank? You could, and they might all survive for a day or two, but eventually you're not going to have any more fish. You know, yeah. everything needs to be managed. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, predator hunting is so misunderstood. I'm a huge predator hunter. I love to bear hunt, cat hunt, mm-hmm. coyote hunt. And it's just so misunderstood. And we need one of the biggest things I think um, the conservation groups are trying really hard of how to market is how do we market to the non-hunters, not the antis. They've got their passionate viewpoints. Right. But the nons, which is like, unfortunately, 85% of our country right now. Mm, You know, we are dwindling dwindling down to about um, 5% of the United States population purchases hunting licenses. Mm -hmm. There's another five to 10% that they say is vehemently anti-hunting. Well, the rest we call nons, if you will. They're not hunters. Mm -hmm. They're not against it. They're just non-hunters who really don't understand what hunting is all about. It's not part of their life. Those are the people we need to reach, not to run out and buy a hunting license and not even to go championing for us, but just to understand the relationship of why hunting is conservation, so they support it when it comes down to the ballot box. So when right. it comes down to voting for, you know, the principles and what's right and the right. science behind it all, that's what we really need to do is have non-hunters understand why we need hunting. Yeah, And I think, believe it or not, out of this whole crazy coronavirus thing, one of the things that's a plus is all of a sudden for the first time in a long time, people went to the grocery stores and couldn't get food that they wanted. Right. And yeah. all, I mean, as it you changes. know, yeah, all of us hunters are like, yeah. that's okay. My freezer out in the garage is yeah. full. I'm good for a year, you know? Yeah. Um, but it really has maybe been a little bit, a little of an eye opener for people yeah. who've never thought about that before, who are, um, the organic movement, I think has been very beneficial right. for the hunting yeah. community, hunting industry of people wanting to know where their meat comes from, wanting to make sure it's organic and fresh and wholesome. And that's why I think we have in the last decade gotten a lot, especially with social media pushing yeah. that a lot of people getting into hunting because of the organic side of things. Um, but there's a whole nother reason for it. And that's yeah. the management side of things. We need to manage our bears. We need to manage our mountain lions. Yeah. Now, mind you, if you're in a state like Wisconsin, you're not too concerned about mountain lions. <laughs> but if you're in Montana, right. in the Bitterroot Valley, where I am, yeah. the science behind it shows we have to cat hunt if we want our elk herds and, and our deer herds. And why? So I just to come from maybe a, a side of, of, of someone that doesn't understand those processes. I mean, we, you've talked with a couple different things of, of why, you know, hunting is still important, not just, you know, find out where your food comes from to actually provide, you can, you know, be a part of the management, you're, you're giving money back towards the conservation of other animals and stuff too. But when someone is looking at it of just like, okay, hunting is, is, doesn't need, or I'm not for it or against it or whatever, but like, what's, what, what's the biggest thing that you would look at for someone that, maybe comes from that side where it's like, well, I don't really quite understand or know where that's goes. Like what, what are some of those other big things aside from what's we talked about already of just, that is the reason. Cause I mean, I grew up doing it. I understand that whole process of what, why it's important in the tradition and everything, but how would you speak to someone in the main sense of like what, why that's a, such a big deal to, you know, be a part of, of, of managing predators. I was like, well, they say, Oh, they've managed themselves for years before us. And why can't they just keep doing it? It's like, there's obviously other, other factors in place. So can you speak to that a little bit? Well, it's been proven that that's not how the world works. You know, unfortunately there's too many of us walking around here. There's too many humans, too much encroachment on habitat. Yeah. Yeah. There's too much encroachment on habitat. There's too many cities just exploding and sprawling over that, you know, Montana's booming right now. Right. I, and I, 
no one move there right now. It's really bad. The weather's horrible. No, <laughs> Same with Idaho. Yeah, don't yeah, yeah. Here. Don't know. Do not go to Idaho. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, truth is, it's exploding, and I'm watching where I felt like when I bought my house there like nine years ago, I felt like, oh, I'm totally in the country. All of a sudden, the bare hillside I'm looking at has eight new homes on it, you know, but guess what? That's mule deer habitat and that's elk habitat when the winters get really tough. In fact, last year I was, no, two years, two winters ago, I was down seeing my dad in Florida and my targets, my big archery target, my, my matrix target sits on a hay bale with like three big hay bales behind it. And in the 10 days I was gone, the elk had broken through my backyard fence, jumped it so many times that they broke it (laughs) and they demolished my straw hay bales which can't have much nutrients in it there was nothing was just way too much snow there was nothing for them to eat but you know we as a human race are encroaching on wildlife habitat and you know it's not no animals don't you know balance themselves out that's not how nature works i personally want there to be as much wildlife as possible for the future generations to you know for my my stepson and my nieces, my niece and nephews, I want them to be able to enjoy all this wildlife I am. I want their grandkids to be able to enjoy. And hunters' dollars are the ones protecting that. Mm-hmm. But if you, but back up to where you said, what would you say to people for them to understand that concept? I think it's just really open dialogue, kind of like I said about the fish tank scenario, mm-hmm. or even like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has a great little link on their website. I always send people to that, especially my teacher friends who will get to talking. She's like, I want to tell my kids all about this. It's 25 reasons why hunting is conservation. And it's Mm. just bullet pointed. And it says, you know, back in 1908, there were this many ducks. Now they say the flocks are, you know, back in, you know, 1890, they say the elk herd was this. And because of hunters, now it's this. It just spells out numbers, you know, and, um, I think that's one of the coolest links to give out to people, Mm -hmm. but it's really just explaining to people too, of why we love to hunt because they, if they, if the only exposure they've ever had to hunting comes from global Hollywood, which is mainstream media Mm. news or TV shows or movies, then they all think we're a bunch of hillbillies sitting in our pickup trucks with a wad of tobacco shooting from the pickup. Mm -hmm. That's what movies and stuff have have primarily done to hunters, make us look like a bunch of gun-toting idiots. And sitting down with them and explaining what it's like to sit in the dark, whether, let's say you're in the Midwest, and to sit in a tree stand and you get out there in the dark and you hear the birds starting to chirp and the owls are hooting and you're cold and suddenly the sun rises and it warms your face and you're hearing the crunch of the leaves and you look down and a little doe is walking below you and, you know, or you see tines walking through. You just, you need to describe to them how exciting that is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because I started out like that. I actually remember thinking... When I started to get into archery and big game hunting, like, what am I going to feel like when I take a deer's life? Like, am I going to be able to mm. handle it? What's it, is it going to be emotional? I don't know if I want to shoot a deer. I remember that. I remember being back from Wisconsin saying like, I love to deer hunt, but I don't really see why people get into bear hunting. Well, pff, 13 bears later, I'm like the biggest bear hunter on the planet. And I, I love bear meat. I love cooking it up. I understand mm-hmm. the management side of it all. There's just simply too many of them in certain areas. And, but yeah really just explaining to non-hunters what you get out of hunting. And that can be from the, the, I think we all need to de-stress, right? We all need to, and and nature does that. We all need Mm -hmm. to um, take a little anxiety off the table, whether you're a parent and you've got kids or your job's crazy. And what does it better than nature? Nothing Mm -hmm. in my opinion. And, but it's, but it, then they'll say, well, can't you get that if you go on a bird hike or bird watching hike? Don't you get the same? It's not the same because part of the part of the adrenaline of hunting, the highs and lows come from the, the preparation. And there's also yeah. a lot of confidence that comes from becoming skilled with yeah. a weapon. It's but, a challenge. It's, yeah. You're not just going out there. It's not a, it's not just an observatory. You're actually contributing to the yes. whole process. Whether it's your, a bow or gun or mm-hmm. handgun or whatever, with the more proficient you become with that weapon, the more confidence it builds you. Yeah. And now I'm glad I had that because I live alone 
in my house in Montana or I'm on the road a lot, I've constantly got a gun in my consult or a gun in my purse. Mm -hmm. I like to know that if in a tricky situation, I'm going to be able to conceal carry. I'm going to know how to use that handgun. You know, that actually came after the fact because of hunting. Mm -hmm. But there's confidence that comes with all of that. And uh, there's confidence that comes with putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. I think we live in a big pansy world right now. You know, we (laughs) we need a remote for the remote. But when you push yourself, whether you're freezing in a tree stand or you're on a tough hike up a mountain and, you know, you push yourself through uncomfortable situations and it just makes you a stronger person. It makes you appreciate once you finally get that animal down. It makes you so excited every time you go to the freezer and you pull out those back straps, you, 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 you know, you're making bear in your crock pot Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, birds, bear, I don't care what it is. I eat it all except coyote. Um, (laughs) But whatever it is, it just makes you appreciate, oh, that hunt. And then then there's the whole aspect too. Shane Mahoney, who's a, a renowned conservationist, I was mm-hmm. in in a dinner with him and a bunch of RMEF people, and he said something that has just stuck with me ever since he said it. And he said that what a beautiful thing it is when we hunters get to share meat and think about it, like it's something only our group does. You don't go to Costco and buy like a ton of ribs and like take it over to your neighbors. Like, well, this ribs is way too much. I can't handle it. You know, it just a no, but giving your meat yeah. away from a hunt and I give it to my neighbors and we, we trade, she has a huge garden. I don't have time mm-hmm. for a garden. So like we trade a lot. I give it to my hairdresser. Yeah. I give it to, um, I've often had extra meat that I've given to the fire station guys, that's awesome. you know, yeah, yeah, it's really fun. And that's a really cultural, cool bonding thing. That's mm-hmm. another little aspect of hunting. That's makes you feel proud. And yeah, you know, there's so many aspects to it, whether it's the mother nature side of things, the confidence builder, yeah. the, you know, the de-stress, right, of just being able to sit in the woods or climb mm-hmm. the mountains. Uh, there's so many beautiful aspects of it, and I think it's important that we convey that to our non-hunting friends. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's, I, I feel like that goes back to, again, the passion for what you're doing because it is all-encompassing. It's not just something that is a job. It's not just something that you go do on the weekends. It's like it takes up, and in, in your case, obviously, it's more than just the the hunting time. I mean, it's, it's, it's what you're doing all around and, and that's, but it's that much more pressure being in that position to, to, you know, uh, manage that well and put, putting out the right perception to those that you're around. And that's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, of weight on that, that people are looking at you more than others of, okay, what is she doing? How is she doing this? And that's, and that's a, that's a lot to, to take on, but obviously you've been able to to step into those shoes pretty well. So, well, I, uh, I just hope to pass on, pass on the passion, you know, like, um, it's the, you got to just cling to the gratitude. Like Mm -hmm. we talked about gratitude, attitude of gratitude, cling to the things that make you happy. And, um, you know, when I have young girls coming up to me at expos or writing me emails or messages on social and about being inspired or whether it's from skull art to, a hunt or I have a lot of guys, dads who will reach out and say, my, my daughter loves your show. And because of it, she went to hunter safety. Those are the things you just got to yeah, cling to, you know, that's cool. cause there's a lot of haters and naysayers. There's, you know, constant death threats, all that kind of mm-hmm. crap. I haven't gotten that in a long time, but in the beginning it was there and I did have a trouble yeah. dealing with it. I had to hire an attorney in the beginning to, cause this guy wouldn't stop harassing me and going to the extent of like contacting sp- sponsors and saying, you know, lies. And, you know, it's like, how do you handle this? It was so frustrating. And, you know, and then as you get older and wiser and thicker skinned, you just realize there's always going to be people like that out there, but just to continue to do what you do and love it, keep hanging on to the positives. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in that same sense, so as the years go on and you still obviously want to keep doing what you're doing as far as the hunting goes from the career aspect or what, what does that look like looking down the road a, a few years or do you see what you're doing now changing into other spaces or how, how do you yeah. how do you continue to um, you know grow forward in doing what you're doing and keeping that long lasting or passing that on or what does that look like in the next um... for me personally I like to stay in my lane I think I mean I've thought about people have contacted me quite a bit about doing my own podcast and 
I am the biggest techie idiot on the entire planet. And the last <laughs> thing I want to learn is a new, some, like I'm looking at your contraption there. I, no, it looks overly complicated and I belong in the mountains, like in, in a cabin with no electricity. Um, I, but I think, you know, being that I've shifted now off the network to all digital and it, mind you, carbon is free. That's the one thing I love about it is that it's free. It's not a subscription. Um, and I have a lot of creative freedom in what I put on the end, basically any show I can do a cooking episode. I can do a hunt. Um, so far they've all been hunts. I did do, a make camping great again episode recently just because i thought it was very coronavirus needed yeah, you know yeah but it's that fun freedom to be able to do a five minute episode 10 minute episode any topic mm -hmm. um i am excited i'm going to be releasing um new episodes till the end of this year and then 2021 i've committed to one brand new episode a month minimum mm -hmm. and then like i said to you 2022 i think all veteran season mm -hmm. would be so awesome that's kind of where i'm looking into the future and wanting to do yeah um basically doing the same thing i'm doing now except um maybe i wouldn't be the tag holder that to mm -hmm. me it's more important the veteran be the tag holder and yeah and really help them and finding yeah. success but um i still love working really i'm right now i'm working really strongly with the mule deer foundation um we're Trying to like right now, it's funny, people might not understand that. Like, well, I'm looking out already, I'm looking out into 2021 with a mm. lot of my partners, their marketing programs, yeah. their budgets, um, and the conservation groups because they've had a struggle through Corona. So, are trying to find creative mm -hmm. ways to m m fundraise because they can't hold their banquets. Yeah, so Mule Deer Foundation, I'm getting a big, huge package together for their ultimate giveaway, which is their big, big giveaway every August. They give away a Polaris. They give away tons of hunts, 10 yeah. huge packages. And one of those packages is a Skullbound Chronicles package this year. Awesome. It's going to have a 30 Nosler decked out with Vortex Scope, rangefinder nice. binoculars. It's Yeah, it's like a $10,000 package. So big Cryptex set in it. So that's been a lot of work lately, organizing all of that. And mm -hmm. then the marketing assets for that and the graphics. And um, I'm also going to be doing a, a Magnum Research 429 handgun giveaway with Mule Deer Foundation. Nice. An engraved by Outlaw Ordnance, one-of-a-kind gun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so like that's kind of where I'm – and I'm passionate about that because that money goes back to the, the organizations that, to me, are still – fighting mm -hmm. for the herds, fighting for the habitat, fighting for the heritage. Yeah. People may not understand that a lot of these conservation groups actually work together to help groups like Sportsman's Alliance raise funds to provide to fight the grizzly bear issue or mm -hmm. whatever next insane court case that's going to get thrown at them, yeah. you know? So yeah. uh, believe it or not, when you are getting involved with the conservation groups, like say Turkey Federation, you're not just helping turkeys, you're helping habitat, you're helping yeah. youth programs, yeah. you're helping it court case. Yeah, it yeah. really does. So that's been a focus of mine. I never want that to stop. But uh, right now, this whole fall is just getting some episodes in the can and released yeah. on carbon. Um, yeah. And then moving forward, I'd like, I really want to do all veteran season, but mm -hmm. I'm still working with the same partners that have been here since the very beginning. So I'm really blessed and honored with that. And it's just keeping this little train of mine chucking down the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, it's, it's cool to see the, the impact you've been able to have in, in those different spaces as well as outside of that with the people you get to meet and, and those that get to watch your show and everything too. And that's, you know, oh, it's, thank you. it's, it's inspiring to see on, on, uh, for a lot of different, um, you know, spaces as well as people. And I think that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Cause it's it, when you have a, a position and a, and a platform like that, I mean, it, it's, you, you want to see the best come out of that and not just, you know, being, being known by people, but you're going to impact, impact them as well. So yeah. that's really cool. So, well, I really been, appreciate that. It's been a blessing. I, I have literally pinched myself every week of my life. It's a blessing and I feel really lucky to do what I do. I love the people I'm surrounded with. That's another thing I would advise people back, back in the beginning of the conversation when you said, what would you tell someone who wanted to start? Be careful who you, who you partner with. You know, mm -hmm. that's very important. Make sure it's companies that you love, that you believe in, yeah. you know, it could, because a company can help you build your brand or mm -hmm. in a negative way as yeah. well. It's really yeah. important, but just surround yourself with good, solid people that have positive things to say and who are going to make you a better person, a better mm -hmm. hunter. Um, you know, yeah. that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, share today. We're, we're, we're getting towards the, 
the end of the hunt and uh, and we're hoping we're hoping for some success <laughs> here right at the, the end yeah for i've you, got so. one evening left here uh but you never know and you know i th- i do think it's important too that People understand not every hunt, successful hunt, doesn't have to end with a notch tag. Yeah. It truly doesn't. And uh, my gosh, archery elk hunting is one of the toughest. Oh, man. <laughs> it is it's so really tough. Is. We put on the miles this week. Oh gosh! But it's also yeah. so much fun. And um, when the, when when the moment of success does hit, it's it's glorious. But it doesn't have to. A successful week doesn't mm-hmm. have to end like that. I mean, yeah. I've had weeks where I've had. Trust me, I I. I've eaten take soup a bit <laughs> and that just happens. Yeah. So if it happens, that's all right. Uh, I've had an amazing week. I can yeah. honestly say this in all my years of hunting. I've never, I've never seen this kind of elk hunting here. Yeah, this is, this is unreal. The number of bulls and action going on and, and, and still the miles to go. I mean, yeah, it might be at a, at a nice place here, but it is, it is wild and there are bulls coming in and out and it's oh, screaming it, it's in awesome. your face. <laughs> you know, there are a bull 50 yards, can't draw. You have two cows standing right in front of you, looking at you, just like any yeah. single bow hunting scenario you can think of has happened here this yep. week in Idaho. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. No, it's been a, it's been a great week and, and great people to share with. Just like you said, it's, it really makes a difference and, and that's made a difference on this trip too. So, yeah, for sure. but thanks for sharing uh, the process. And we're exciting to see the, uh, the future of, of Skullbound Chronicles as well. And well, so we're, we wish you the best of luck in that. So thank you so much. Yeah. It's been an honor. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you're able to glean some valuable insights from this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and let us know what you thought and your feedback. We would love to hear from you. If you want to find out more, visit silverlinefilm.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook under Silverline Films. And we look forward to seeing you next week on Silverline Behind the Frame.